I want to just underscore a couple of things. Uh, first of all, how's everybody doing this morning? All right. Sometimes it's hard with the mask on to see how you're doing. And then uh, the singing. How many of you are just anxious to get the mask off? How many of you? I mean, it's already kind of psychologically gone in my mind. But uh, we're still hanging on to keep our testimony uh, these last few uh, months here. But uh, Lord willing, next year we'll have those masks on. We'll look forward to that. But a couple things I want to just uh, comment on. First of all, uh, I want to uh, thank uh, the librarian and uh, whoever uh, developed the idea of putting on the little seminar uh, that was mentioned. I was just thinking about that. First of all, when I was in college, that would have been the least exciting announcement made in chapel for me. Uh, I, had, I was busy, I was working, had a lot to do, and uh, I didn't plagiarize Dr. Gatch, but I found every shortcut possible on those papers. And yet, after I've been preaching so many years, I've learned the ability to learn how to uh, process thoughts down into a uh, workable outline, into a readable paper. It really is a discipline that you need to get. I just, I just think about this resurrection message. Um, Monday, I had 26 pages of notes. Today, I have 18. By the time I stand here to preach Saturday night, it will probably be 12 to 14 in there. Um, and, and I'm just going over these notes and over these notes and wanting to keep what God wants me to keep, wanting the message to, uh, to touch people's hearts and to flow. And a lot of that discipline is developing in your life right now. And so, for example, to be able to uh, have someone like Mrs. Demersian teach you how to put thoughts together on paper, uh, that's incredible. Um, I wrote a blog I'm going to mention in just a moment on the Equality Act. And... Uh, I sent it out to a couple friends this morning, a couple of friends that pastor very large churches, presidents of very large colleges, and two of them responded back and said, would you mind if we posted this to our website? This would be helpful for our folks. And, uh, and I, I don't say that because I think I'm the greatest writer. I'm just saying there's a need for men and women in our Bible-believing fundamental circles to know how to study subject matter, to articulate it, to put it into print. So much today of what people put on blogs and things is like something they copied from some other liberal blog or some stupid idea or some gossip or some banter, ministry against ministry. But to be able to take uh, material that's very helpful and articulate it, I just I want to thank Brother Getch, whoever came up with that idea. I never had that in college, and you guys are blessed. And so I say that because some of you that may have thought, yeah, I hope you know, that, that's not really for me or whatever, Make that for you because preachers need to learn how to read, write, spell, articulate, and speak the truth uh, in a way that communicates and con connects with people. So I just, I was so happy about that. Speaking of the blog, I want to ask all of you students uh, to read uh, and file the blog that I posted today on the Equality Act. Uh, it sounds so good at the surface, but uh, it would require companies, and if it, if it fully passed, even churches, to not refer to men as men and ladies as ladies. It would require ministries to hire people who are transgender. By the way, we as a church recognize people according to their biological birth. And you're going to face this in ministry. What are you going to do with someone that shows up that was a guy that now thinks they're a girl and they want to go into the girl's bathroom at your church? 
These are the kinds of questions you're going to face in the ministry today. And, uh, and this blog speaks to the issue uh, and uh, is encouraging Christians to uh, contact their senators and have a vote against it. I would like to ask you all, and you might want to jot a few things down and get your notes ready for the message as well. I want to ask you to do a couple of things with that blog. Number one, I want you to read it because you need to understand the times. You need to understand the world you're ministering in. And so I want you to read it. Uh, number two, I want you to forward it to your pastor. Forward it to your pastor and just say, this is something that Dr. Chapel mentioned in chapel. He thought it might help our church back home because this is something that is going to affect churches nationwide. What we want to see with this bill is all of this uh, language of the LBGTQ movement stripped from it. And uh, this discriminatory towards Christians, it is a direct attack on religious liberty like no other attack in history. And listen, mark my words, one day you're going to say, Brother Chapel talked about that in chapel at West Coast Baptist College. And you're either going to say, I'm glad that a lot of Christians rose up and the Senate blocked it, or you're going to say, our whole ministry is never the same because of that. And uh, that's, that's the depth of the encroachment that the government wants to make on nonprofits and religious organizations. For example, that someone who is, uh, for, for example, we would not hire someone on our staff that was living in open adultery. They just all of a sudden left their wife and got off and were cheating with some woman and married her. We would not then hire them here, nor would we hire someone who's in an openly gay lifestyle. And uh, so, uh, but this, this law would force you to hire them if they're in, the, in that lifestyle. So I want you to read it. I want you to pass it to your pastor. You know, pastors today, like myself, are inundated with either uh, member issues, financial issues, employee issues, and then now we've got all the legal issues coming at us, especially with the Biden administration. So I want you to read it. I want you to pass it along to a pastor. And if you're in my class, uh, the Practical Theology class tomorrow, we're going to have a quiz at the beginning of class, and I'm going to have you write three of the threats. I think I listed seven. I'm going to ask you to write three of the threats to our religious liberty posed by the Equality Act. So take a moment, paulchapel.com, and find that. Very excited about this spring schedule. We only have about uh, six weeks, I think, left in college. We're actually going to have an event later this month called Day, a day of college. That's on April what, Dr. Rasmussen? 19th, and you'll be hearing more about that. I want you to jot that down, especially if you live here in the southwestern states, April the 19th, a day of college at West Coast Baptist College. We were not able to have our youth conference or college days. I'm going to take the liberty to have a day where we open the campus to students that would like to come in for a day of college, and uh, we'll talk to you more about how to welcome them. And uh, then also, we're excited about introducing some new faculty and college leadership over the next month in college chapel during the month of April. Uh, I, I am so excited about next fall. I think we've worked harder on it than just about any fall we've had other than maybe our opening, which uh, uh, we really didn't know what we were doing back then. So uh, we're getting ready for a great new season of ministry. We'll be sharing that with you. And that'll lead us right into our graduation weekend, which is different this year. It's going to be over a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And uh, we're excited about seeing our graduates go off to serve the Lord. 
most of our board members are coming in, and we're going to have a, a somewhat of a normal graduation, Lord willing, compared to last year. So these next several weeks are going to be fantastic. I do want to also, by way of announcement, you're going to want to mark some of these down in just a moment. First, before I give you the announcement, let me say... Uh, what a great job you did with the hunt last weekend. And uh, it was just amazing for me to hear the reports and to hear what was happening. I remember back last semester as we had class under the tent uh, and chapel under the tent outside. By the way, how many of you can look back and say, those were good memories out there under the tent? I mean, no, no other student body got to ever have that experience, right? And uh, I remember several guys coming up to me going, when are we going to have a bus route? When are we going to have ministry? And I felt so bad, but I knew we were just fortunate to have college. 300 colleges in L.A. County, this is one of three, maybe four, that had college this year in the normal setting that we have enjoyed. By the way, how many of you are thankful for that? I mean, that's just a miracle from God. So I was just glad to have college, you know. Uh, and then, then uh, we wanted to have ministry. And so uh, the hunt, uh, it was not numerically as large maybe as last year, but it was a new beginning, and we had a great, we had several hundred. And we had, uh, I think I heard 30 moms and dads, families that were there with the children. One student came up to me Sunday, one of our students, and brought um, a mom and a dad to me that he had led to Christ. Uh, we had two other families visiting the church Sunday from the hunt. And what you learn with these special days is you get a lot of names, like for Easter, this will provide between the hunt and Easter. We'll be following up on these sometimes all the way through the summer. And so these are great contacts. I want to commend you for a job well done. And, uh, and proportionately for the number of people that were at the hunt, we have a great amount of people to follow up on. So this is really exciting. I do want to announce also, this is what you're going to write, want to write down, that because of all the extra work, because of the uh, papers you're writing, getting ready for uh, various events coming up, and because of the great work done last week, we're going to give you Monday off of class. And so mark that down. Somebody ought to say amen to that, and uh, you should enjoy that. Dr. Getch can uh, come up later and tell you exactly what that means if there's any, anything that we're supposed to do as far as schedule-wise other than just sleep. But I think the idea is primarily get some rest, and uh, we want you to know how much we appreciate uh, the great job that you did. Uh, I want to just mention a couple of things, uh, and then I'll get right into the message here. Last week, uh, I was out preaching uh, several times, I think seven times last week, in the state of Texas and uh, had some uh, good meetings there. I haven't been out preaching quite as much as a normal year because of COVID, uh, and I won't go all through the itinerary. We did have a, a luncheon on uh, Thursday with about 50 pastors at a uh, hotel conference center just to give them an update on the college and, and to talk with them. But I had a few slides I wanted to share, I think, from, from Houston that were a blessing. Fellas, if you have those, just roll those out if, you, if you're back there. Uh, this is one of our graduates, uh, Billy Levion. He came here from India. Uh, and just a quiet young man, and he's working at a church in Houston. It's a church plant called Arise Baptist Church. And what he's showing me here uh, is the neighborhood of the church inside the beltway of Interstate 8. And uh, Billy's job, he is the director of uh, soul winning and discipleship at the Arise Baptist Church. And you should see the tree of discipleship he gave me as well, showing which family had been saved, which family had been discipled, who's discipling the others. It was pretty amazing. Uh, 
And then uh, this slide is uh, of one of the new church plants, New Life Baptist Church. Look over the shoulder there in the background. You can see the, the sky rise or the skyline of Houston. And uh, uh, this is uh, uh, on the right side, Brother Will Culver, who's uh, planting the Arise Baptist Church. Uh, and uh, then they're uh, working together to help plant uh, this other church with um, Brother uh, David Cripps. And David uh, played basketball for us here at West Coast Baptist College. And the Lord's just doing something special. And the reason I wanted to show this to you, and guys, don't turn the slide until I ask for it, just visit here for a second. But um, what excites me is this. Here in the city of Houston, which is a large multi-million city, uh, to find three or four, maybe five West Coast Baptist College graduates that I met and a couple that are directly involved in planting churches in neighborhoods where there is no soul-winning church, period. And, and a few years ago, they were sitting here thinking about church planting, and now uh, they are actually planting churches. And this is a building that's been provided through uh, some things that some businessmen did to just uh, obtain this old bank. And uh, David was in there. I kind of caught him by surprise. I think he was shocked I showed up. He was painting and cleaning in that building, getting ready for Easter services. And it was just a blessing to me because this is why we started West Coast Baptist College, someone who can learn how to win souls and disciple and learn their doctrine and then go to a city in America that desperately needs the gospel and get the job done. These are a little out of order, so let's see what else I have next now uh, in, the, in the slides. This was just something that impressed me. And uh, this is the, uh, on the wall of, of one of the churches. It has the map of Houston and, uh, and the scripture from 1 Samuel. It may be that the Lord will work with us. The pastor claimed that verse, and he's claiming uh, inside the beltway of Interstate 8, and I think there's about 2 million people inside that beltway and just a couple of independent Baptist churches. And this is the spirit of a church planter, the Arise Baptist Church. They bought a piece of property that has... Um, uh, a church that's been uh, retroed from an old automobile type of a shop and uh, had a great meeting there, great attendance, great spirit. And, and then maybe four or five miles away, a West Coast Baptist College graduate, four or five miles, another area, a young man had not yet graduated but starting a church and finishing up his education. And uh, super exciting to see what the Lord was doing there. A couple of other pictures and then we'll get on to the message. Uh, this is the inside of an automobile automotive shop after it was remodeled into an auditorium. Pretty nice, wouldn't you say? And uh, it was a blessing to preach there. There's nothing like just getting around church planners uh, that really are witnessing and soul winning because uh, they know that that's really what matters the most and, uh, and they, they're, they're really doing a good job. And then finally, I think uh, we have a slide maybe of one of our uh, tour fellows. Guys, or you can turn it now. Uh, that was your, maybe you don't have the slide. Is that the last slide if you don't have it? All right, that's fine. Well, take your Bibles if you would and uh, let's turn right now, uh, if you would please, to the book of Acts. And we're gonna turn to Acts chapter 20 and let's stand together and uh, appreciate again uh, your good spirit this semester and I want to bring a message to you from Acts chapter 20 beginning in verse 17. Acts 20 verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church and when they were come to him he said unto them, Ye know from the first day I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind 
and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, a couple of thoughts. All of you have received from the Lord Jesus a ministry. You may be seeking to refine and define and understand exactly how that calling works, but every believer has a ministry from the Lord. In fact, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, he said that because he was a saved man. Saved people have a ministry for the Lord. Paul had a ministry from the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is the crux of it. Notice in that verse, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So whether it is as a teacher, an evangelist, a pastor, a missionary, we're all in this together, and our goal is to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. That's what we're here to do together. That's what those church planters are doing in Houston. But in the course of all of this, as Paul is writing to these Ephesian pastors, he uses here a phrase that I want to speak about this morning. The Apostle Paul says in verse 24, but none of these things move me. Let's say that together. But none of these things move me. Now the Lord has called you to ministry. You say, I don't know if I'm supposed to be a pastor yet or this or that. That's not the point. The moment he saved you, he had a specific purpose in mind for your life. How many of you find that exciting? I find that exciting. He has a ministry for you. Satan does not want you to go to Los Angeles or Houston or Seattle or wherever with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. He desires that men and women would not be saved. He fights against the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it was with Paul. The lying in wait of the Jews, we'll see some of this this morning. And so he says in this verse, but none of these things are going to move me. Some of you need to decide this morning whether it's a breakup with a boyfriend or girlfriend, whether it's a financial thing, whether it's a disappointment back home that comes, whether it's a situation that uh, is uh, discouraging you right now, that you would say today, none of these things are going to move me from the calling of God to serve him in ministry. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. Father, I know that Satan will try to move the students off course. He doesn't want them in Houston knocking on doors, cleaning a church, getting music ready. He doesn't want them out on some mission field. But I pray that you would give to them this morning a desire to stay firmly fixed on you and on your calling for their life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we live in a day of constant mobility. I'm told that the average urban church will lose about 10% of its congregation over the course of a 12-month period. 
10% of its people. There's a churn of people always moving in this mobile society. I think we may have lost more than that last year. That means for a church like this that we need to see several hundred people saved and baptized every year to break even with our attendance. We live in a mobile society. People are always on the move. People are unsettled. We see that a lot of times uh, in younger people today with various different ideas of what they want to do and how they want to train and relationships, drawing them here and there. People are very mobile today. A recent Gallup poll indicated that the average American moves every five years. People are restless. They're always dreaming outside the will of God. They're always looking at what could be, and they're oftentimes dissatisfied. Sometimes pastors are restless. Sometimes pastors move about as much as the average church member themselves. And so we live in a mobile society. Even worse than the mobility of people always moving is the fact that we also see people today very much in a moving trend away from biblical principles. Yesterday there was a Gallup poll that for the first time in 70 years, church attendance in America has dipped below the 50% mark. In the last 20 years of my ministry here, church attendance in America, according to the Gallup poll USA Today article yesterday, church attendance has gone from 70% of people attending at least one time a month to 49% of people attending at least one time a month. These are trends that we see happening. The greatest growth group of people not attending church would be your age group. People that are younger who are choosing to be a nun, a part of the N-O-N-E, not an N-U-N as in a Catholic nun, but what they call the nuns, meaning they have no faith. They have no particular denomination. They have no affiliation with a church. And that is why your calling matters so much, because somebody must reach your generation in the midst of this mobility going here and there, in the midst of this doctrinal change here and there, or no doctrine at all, someone's got to call out your generation to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and to live uh, with a causative, going forward from the Word of God lifestyle. Now, the Apostle Paul teaches us that none of these things should move me. Many times we see people moving uh, in the sense of their physical moving away, uh, trying to find maybe happiness or more money or whatever they're looking for. And sometimes we see churches moving away from sound doctrine. There's a lot of mission drift in America today and in American churches today. How can we avoid the mission drift or the unnecessary mobility uh, in, the, in the quest for happiness that so many seem to be uh, involved in today? How can we avoid quitting in the midst of the calling of God? I don't think there's anyone here that came to Bible college thinking, I'm going to look for a way to quit. I don't think there's anyone here that dreams of how not to graduate. But I know the devil's going to try, even this summer, to get some freshman to think, you know, I think I'll try uh, auto mechanics, or I think I'll just take a year off and rest, or I think I'll move here, I think I'll move there. Satan doesn't want you to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He's going to try to get you off course. He tried to get Paul off course. But Paul the apostle says, but none of these things move me. I want to give you three areas that you ought to say today, this will not move me. 
This will not move me. First of all, Paul tells us that people will not move him. People will not move him. Verse 18, when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Now everywhere Paul went, there was a group ready to oppose him. We'll not take the time to study all the missionary journeys. You can read through the book of Acts. You'll find that uh, when he went from one city to another city, sometimes there were troublemakers that followed him. Sometimes they got ahead of him. The Bible often says they stirred up the Jews. They stirred up the congregation. And they withstood the apostle Paul everywhere he went. Uh, Justice Antonin Scalia, Supreme Court Justice, who passed away a few years ago, said, Christians who are determined to live according to the Bible will be deemed as fools in America in the years to come. In other words, as you go out to Houston or L.A., the educational elitists, the socialists, the communists, those that are involved in all kinds of uh, uh, disturbance of society are going to view someone like you and me who believes that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life as fools in America. And I, I want you to recognize that people are going to come against you. They're going to write articles against you. The Holy Equality Act is against the faith that we hold so dear. Paul speaks here about the lying in wait of the Jews. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 23, he speaks about the Jews that took counsel to kill him. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 19, he speaks about those that took him outside of the city of Lystra, and there they stoned him. And, and I want you to recognize this, that, that people are going to try to push you and discourage you. Sometimes it will happen from Christians. Sometimes it might happen from someone that used to go to West Coast or used to go to a Christian high school and they've backslidden and they think you're stupid and they blog against you. I don't know where all uh, the opposition will come from. I just know that anyone going forward for Jesus will face friction in their Christian life. You're going to face some friction and some opposition along the way. And Paul says, none of these things will move me. He said, I'm going to continue serving my God. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility of mine. You see, keeping a humble spirit. And he says, with tears, for three years, he had a compassionate spirit. He just continued serving. What else I see here is the fact that Paul continued sowing. He said, I'm not going to let these people keep me from serving. I'm not going to let these people keep me from sowing. I will hold nothing back. He tells us in verse 20 how that I kept nothing back uh, that was profitable unto you, but I've showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Dr. Curtis Hudson once said, the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. Write that down in your notes. The only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. The only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. Why does he say that? Why did Dr. Hudson say that? Because Jesus has commanded us to go out, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Paul said he went publicly and he went from house to house. But along the way, no doubt, there was opposition. Not everybody was happy to hear from him. Some people probably heard him. You know, when you get hurt in ministry, you tend to want to recoil and just hide. You tend to want to say, you know, I don't want to get close to people. I don't think I'll stand in the back and shake hands with people. I think I'll just do my job and just go home. I've seen preachers like that. 
I remember years ago, we've always had a ministry to the police officers in our community, and we drop off gifts at the, at the station and drinks for them during hard times when people are marching against the police. And, and there was a police officer in our church that uh, began to sow some discord and, and began to say unkind things about the church, unkind things about me, hurtful things. Oh, there were 30 or 40 police officers in the church at that time, but this one was so critical. By the way, sometimes that's how the devil plays. The whole congregation is happy. One person uh, throws a stone at you, and that's who you tend to think about. That's just the way our human nature is. You know, for a while there, for a while there, I thought, you know, I don't know if I want to have this police appreciation day. I don't know if we want to spend all this money, have all this food. I mean, these guys are so hard shell, and, 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 and they're, this guy's being so unkind to me. And, and yet the Lord kept working on my heart. Don't let this one man that's opposing you, don't let this one critic set the agenda for your ministry. Young man, listen to me this morning. Never let a critic set the agenda for your ministry. I said never let a critic Set the agenda for your ministry. Don't get your marching orders from a critic. You get your marching orders from God. And yet I had this critic, and it was hurtful. And, and sometimes when, when people are pushing, it'll hurt you. And I thought about just kind of laying back and not reaching out to the law enforcement. And yet, by the grace of God, we had our law enforcement a day that next May, and we had a good group of men come in. We had a couple of men saved. Brother Kim Rupert came and got right with God, one of the great men of this church today. And I often think, had I wallowed in my hurt feelings, had I let that critic moved me from doing what I was supposed to do. Kim Rupert may not be a member of Lancaster Baptist Church today. You see, Paul said, none of these things move me. I'm not going to let people keep me from serving and sowing the seed. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I remember out door knocking several years ago, and I knocked on a man's door. And it's a very strange situation. I knocked on the door. I said, hi, I'm Paul Chapel. I'm the pastor at Lancaster Baptist Church. I'm just out inviting folks. And right when I said that, the man said, we're Catholic. We're not interested. And boom, he slammed the door on me. And that's kind of rare, to be honest with you, here in Lancaster. We've kind of worked at being good neighbors. And so I was a little bit shocked. And, but I went on to the next, next doors and finished my street up. And that next Sunday, a man came up to me, he and his wife, and, uh, and his name was Francis. And, and he said, uh, Pastor Chapel, do you remember me? I said, no, no, sir, I don't. A lot of people ask me that question, you know, from college and all these things. I said, I'm sorry, I can't. He said, well, do you remember knocking on someone's door last week and they told you they were Catholic and they slammed the door on you? I said, it's starting to come back to me. And he said, Pastor Chapel, he said, we're not Catholic. He said, my wife and I were saved in the Philippines years ago. But he said, I have been so terribly backslidden that when you knocked on my door, that's the first thing I thought to say, just to get rid of you. And he said to me, he said, I, I wonder, he said, Pastor Chapel, would, would you forgive me? He said, my wife and I would like to be members of your church here. Well, I forgave them. They became members. Several months later, we had the spiritual leadership conference and you as students are going to be able to be a part of that this next October right here in this auditorium. Pastors from all over America are coming for the spiritual leadership conference and for the first time in the history of our ministry it will be held in October. You'll be a part of that and many of you graduates can come back for our alumni reunion. It's a great time. And we were having a great week and the last night Dr. David Gibbs was preaching. 
And I said, Brother Gibbs, would you preach on missions and would you preach on the need for the world to hear the gospel? And he did. And that night I saw this man, Francis. He was down here weeping and really pouring out his heart to the Lord. And he came up to me and he said, can I have an appointment with you? And we met a few days later. And as we met together, he said, Pastor Chapel, I don't know a lot about it, but he said, I really feel like God called me to be a missionary. He said, I know I'm 59 years old, but he said, I just, I want to go back to the Philippines with the gospel message. He said, I don't need to go around asking for money like the other missionaries. He said, I own several businesses. He said, I, I just want to go back and tell my people about Jesus Christ. And I said, well, Francis, I said, that is wonderful. I said, now listen, I, I want to challenge you that you need to be ready. I really want to challenge you to take at least the one-year Bible course at West Coast Baptist College. And so at age 59, he was the oldest man to ever register here at West Coast Baptist College. He finished his, his one year. I said, now I want you to go work with Brother Bruce Rice over in the Philippines, a good fundamental Baptist missionary. He'll teach you what, what it means to lead a local church. And he went and worked there for a year. A couple years ago, I got a text from Francis. They'd had a high day of 79 in their church and had several people get saved. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Had I gotten discouraged about door knocking and said, ah, door knocking doesn't work? Had I told that guy, forget you because you offended me? These types of ministry things would not happen. You cannot let a slam door. You cannot let a mean letter. You cannot let a critic stop you from doing what God calls you to do. Paul said, none of these things will move me. I'm not going to let the fact that someone's probably waiting in Jerusalem to stone me or to hurt me. Stop me from doing what God has called me to do. And there is a city with your name on it, and the devil's going to fight you from getting there. And you've got to determine while you're in Bible college, people will not move me. Notice, secondly, problems will not move me. Problems will not move me. I see here in verse number 22, the Bible says, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. He said, now I know there's going to be problems when I go to Jerusalem. I just don't know what they exactly are. And can I tell you, no one told me this in Bible college. I kind of thought the idea was, you know, you go to some city and people go, welcome to our fair city. Here is a parsonage. Here is a salary. We are so happy you are here. Oh, here comes the pastor. Welcome, pastor. It's not always that way. Some of you guys saw a few weeks ago where Mrs. Chaplin and I lived when we first came. The place was so small, we couldn't put our furniture up. The first lady that came to meet my wife in our little apartment there was a lady that had some form of a disability or a drug problem. She had a seizure right in, my, right in our apartment living room. My wife was scared to death. She called me. She didn't know what to do. That was the welcome wagon that met us. The very first night we put our stuff into the new church, I set up a little desk. I had my college certificate, my ordination certificate. Somebody broke in, threw it down on the ground, poured Kool-Aid on it. The very first week we were here, I took from my own money and put a sign in front of the building downtown, Lancaster Baptist Church. The very next night, somebody pried it open and broke it to pieces. It was obvious to me the devil did not want me in Lancaster. Some of you are figuring out the devil doesn't want you in Bible college. The question is, are you going to let the devil win? Or are you going to say, none of these things are going to move me. People aren't going to move me. Problems are not going to move me. 
Now, why was this? I love the phrase here in verse 22. It says, now, behold, I go. What's the next word say? It says, bound, bound. Bound is a passive voice here, indicating that Paul did not bind himself, that he wasn't mama called and papa sent. There was a binding upon him. I believe this was the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Spirit of God had, had placed upon him this binding, this leading, if you will, to go to Jerusalem. He said, I must go to Jerusalem and witness there uh, as, as he had in so many other places. And what I believe every one of us need to have today in our lives is the binding of the Holy Spirit, the understanding that God has, has a purpose for me, has a ministry for me, that I'm not here just to check out West Coast Baptist College. We had a, a group of young people that we had expected in September who didn't make it. This is what I have believed about this year. Every one of you are here by divine appointment. I remember one of, one of your mothers, a young, young lady here from Colorado, and your mother coming up to me the first day of college and saying, Pastor Chapel, thank you for opening the college. We wanted our daughter to live in the faith realm of Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College. There's a, on many of your hearts today here, there's a binding of the Holy Spirit. That if it means I have to sit outside and it's smoky and it's hot and I have to wear a mask, if that's what it means, God knew that when he called me to preach when I was in the 10th grade at camp. I'm not going to just go do the Christian life when it's fun or easy or cool. I have a binding on my heart by the Holy Spirit, Paul said, to go to Jerusalem. I must go. God has called me to go there. I'm not going to let problems keep me from doing what God has called me to do. He was bound. He was also very burdened. Notice in verse 22, he says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Here we see in his spirit there was a pressing. In fact, in Acts 18 and verse 5, it says, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in his spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Have you ever had a pressing in your spirit? Have you ever had a binding and a pressing to the point that, look, at, I know I'm here and I know I need to speak. God wants me to speak the truth to this person. I've, I've got to share Christ with them. I've got to share Christ with the parents of that bus kid. I've got to go back to that person I met last week during the hunt. Listen, when God's Holy Spirit is binding you and leading you and pressing you with a burden, don't say no to God. Say yes to God. In those moments, Paul said, I'm not going to let people move me. I'm not going to let problems move me. And then I want you to see this. I think this is the most important aspect of the message. This is why more preachers quit. This is why more students quit Bible college. This is why more people quit ministry. Is because of their own pride. He says, I'm not going to let my pride, my pride move me. Now, I want you to see a phrase, and I want all of you faculty, all of you guests, I want all of us to see this. The Bible says in verse 24, but none of these things move me, notice now, neither count I my life dear unto myself. Tragically, most men do not leave the ministry because of people problems or because of other problems. They leave the ministry because of self. Self-thought becomes consuming. We often start ministry with an awe of God and the privilege of serving, but somewhere the idol of self replaces the awe for God. I want to say that again. 
Many people start the ministry with an awe of God, but somewhere along the way, the idol of self replaces the awe for God. At some times in your ministry, students, you are going to have to face the fact that you yourself are the greatest danger to ministry completion. You yourself are the greatest danger. The devil cannot defeat you. You serve a risen Savior. Here the Apostle Paul said, I will not let my pride move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. I hear these things all the time. Well, I deserve better than what I'm getting. I'll tell you what, this church doesn't know how good they have it. I was counseling with the pastor one time, and, and uh, I, I don't usually try to be unkind about the office of the pastor, but the gentleman I was talking to was incredibly obese, disheveled, unkept, disorganized, never on time. The ministry was reflective of that. The buildings were filthy. The schedule was terrible. There was no order of service. It seemed like no one thought about the service. And before church, he's sitting in the office there, a filthy mess. By the way, fellas, if you ever have an office or a desk, keep it clean. Keep your life organized. He's sitting in this cave of trash, telling me, I'll tell you, Brother Chapel. These people just don't know what they've got here with me as their preacher. And I remember sitting there thinking, this guy's spiritual gift is imagination. <laughs> but that's what self can do. Why don't I get to sing the solo? Why don't I get paid this much? How, other places get this. How come I don't get this? I think I deserve I think I, I, I. Herein lies my greatest problem and yours that we think more of ourselves than we should. Paul said, none of these things are gonna move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm convinced that there are some missionaries that need to come home from the field. They have legitimate health problems. And there are some that think so much of themselves that they talk themselves into needing to come home. Why are Adam and, and Esther Friedenstein in El Salvador right now in the midst of some uh, gang trafficking and some gunshots in their neighborhood and with a child with Down syndrome and in a situation that's relatively dangerous just to go shopping and yet why do they go out soul winning week after week after week? I'll tell you one thing, they're one of the most humble families I've ever met. Oh, they can have a job in any church in America. I'd hire them right now. Boom, just like that. Love to have them on my staff. Fantastic couple. But they're not thinking of themselves. They're thinking of people who need Christ as their Savior. Pride is the greatest sin that so often affects ministry. I'm not saying that a pastor should never leave his, his uh, place. There are pastors who serve in two, three places and finally land in a place and great things happen. I'm, I'm not to be the judge of their heart, but I am going to say to you that I believe there are some that move way too much because they get this idea there's something better out there. They should be treated differently. I see it happening in education. I see it happening in many different venues. I see it in the secular world. Listen, you will not get something done greatly for God by going somewhere every couple of years. Listen, it takes two or three years just to know where the roads are in a given town. 
People don't even begin to take you seriously until you've been around five or ten. And if you'll stay longer, you'll find city leaders and city fathers even calling you for advice and help. And, but it takes time. It takes time. And you just have to have the spirit to say, None of these things are going to move me. I'm not going to let people move me from doing God's will. I'm not going to let problems move me from doing God's will. I'm not going to let my own pride move me. I'm not going to value my will over God's will. It's a privilege for me to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Pride will move you farther than you want to go. Pride is at the root of all compromise The Bible says in Proverbs, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Be careful. So many young men today, they they think, boy, I I told some of our graduates last week, don't get all worried about what some big church down the road is doing with all their rock and roll band and all that. Don't get the idea that, oh, I've got to grow like that. I've got to look like that. That is sheer pride. Comparing ourselves with ourselves, we're not wise. Be careful. So many times people are trying to be relevant. They're trying to be cool. Why? Because they want to fit in. They want to be accepted. There is one person that you want to please in ministry, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Pride is the root of compromise so often. Pride is the root of contention so often. Only by pride cometh contention. Paul said, I'm not going to let these people move me. I'm not going to let these problems move me. I'm not going to let my own pride move me. I could preach on this for much more length. I'll stop now. Students, the devil doesn't want you out in ministry. He doesn't want you serving now. Some of you need to say right now, because you'll have some sorry boyfriend somewhere trying to get you to quit, some sorry girlfriend trying to get you to quit. You'll have, you'll have some alternate plan offered to you, and, and it's still Christian, though, and, and you'll rationalize, but you will know in your heart that God wanted you to be a preacher. God wanted you to be on a mission field. God wanted you to be involved in Christian education. God wanted you somehow bringing thousands of souls to Christ, and you're doing something else because... You begin to think too much of yourself. None of these things move me. Would you say that with me, please? None of these things move me. A little louder. None of these things move me. One more time. None of these things move me. I will not let people move me. I will not let problems move me. I will not let my own pride move me. Which one does the devil use on you? Maybe all three. May I challenge you this morning? Because the critical male's coming. Some hotshot kid from your youth group is going to criticize you. Somebody in the community is going to yell at you and curse at you. They're going to make fun of the way you dress. It's coming. You better decide right now. I will not turn my back on the calling of God to ministry. None of these things will move me. Let's stand together, shall we?